Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dean Rogers. Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. Today, I have a very special guest, Mr. Sam Prim. What's up, Sam? How you doing, man? I bet I'm the only guest that you've ever said is special, right? The only one, actually. Yeah, I feel kind of bad now for the other guests because I have not said special. So, um, yeah, you are very special uh, in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very many ways. Thank you. So I'm excited, dude. I'm stoked to dive in. I've been watching you on social media forever. We just met each other in person recently. So uh, I'm I'm stoked to dive in. For those that don't know Sam, the highlight reel for him is he owns $46 million in rental properties without using any of his own money. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Uh, I love that too. That's how I've acquired my real estate as well. Uh he has a house flipping company that does 300 houses a year. That's no small feat. That's big time stuff right there, guys. So uh, there's already a lot going on. Uh, you have 2.7 million followers on social media. The reach that you have is tremendous. And you also have 1,500 students that own $200 million plus in real estate. So uh, incredible. Um, I'm sure it was super easy to do all that too. Uh, you, you got like, you know, just pressed a couple buttons and it all worked out for those of you guys that want to connect with Sam, you guys can find him on, on social media, Sam faster freedom. You guys can check him out fasterfreedom.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Dean Rogers show where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. Woo, boy, okay, that's a highlight reel right there, dude. Um, you got me beat, so I'm gonna throw my hands up and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be soaking up as much as I can. Tell me where this all started, man. Yeah, I appreciate that very much, my man. Um, it doesn't have the most exciting beginnings, which I used to kind of shy away from, right? I don't have this like cool childhood story or this rags to riches story or even like grew up in entrepreneurial household story. So I, you know, I don't have that. You're not going to make a movie about my childhood or how this all got started. So I kind of would gloss over that uh, when people ask me that question. But the more I started thinking about it and the more I started articulating it, that's very powerful. Like I didn't have a leg up. I'm like as normal as it gets. Grew up in the Midwest, lower middle class, one pair of tennis shoes a year the week before school, pack your lunch to school every day to save money, didn't want for anything, but didn't have a lot. And I've been able to do some pretty cool stuff like you just said. So I think my normalcy uh, is exciting for people that are normal, that want to achieve some really cool stuff by the definition of normal, right? I mean, that 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 means probably, I don't know the exact definition, but it means most people have that similar type of upbringing or similar type of lifestyle. So the fact that I didn't have a leg up or inherit money or didn't have some crazy life event that altered me and, you know, didn't, didn't have to overcome addiction or anything. I just normal and boring and I've done some some pretty cool stuff. So I think that should be encouraging to most people. Um, so I wanted to get that out of the way first, but in general, how it started again, pretty normal and boring. So I went to high school, uh, played sports growing up, had that fun competitiveness and all that cool stuff, went to college, did the party thing, did the good grades thing, had fun thing. And then to the real world, world and got a job. And a couple years into that job, I was doing okay, making decent money, but kind of wanted a little bit more. I don't know if it was the competitiveness that went away 
obviously you have that, you play professional um, sports, but that competitive or if it was just getting kind of bored and hitting glass ceilings, or if it was, you know, like some vanity, like I should be doing more with my life. I don't know what it was, but I decided to, uh, to, you know, start dabbling into side hustles and real estate just made the most sense to me. Uh, my buddy sent me rich dad, poor dad, again, very cliche, normal, but I read that and that kind of opened my eyes up. And uh, that was about 2012, 13 timeframe. And I started investing in real estate in 2014, very slowly, very methodically. Um, and then it kind of just has grown and snowballed from there. So we can kind of break it out from there, but that's the general boring, but relatable Genesis story. Yeah. Dude, I, what I love about what you said, you shied away from it. I, I honestly shied away from my story for a long time too, because although I, I was at the pinnacle and was, you know, playing in the NFL professional football, I, as part of my story, I can't remember if we've talked about it or not. Like I walked away from all of that and really had to start completely over from scratch. Like not, Oh, well, you know, I got a bunch of money. I guess I'll figure out what I want to do. It's like, no, I got to rub pennies together now, you know? And that for me was a big, huge, like ego hit. It was, you know, it was very humbling. It was like an experience that was really tough. And, um, you naturally want to be all right. You naturally want to be in a good spot. So to tell somebody you're hurting and you're struggling, you kind of shy away from that. You want to say that you've done all these great things. So I, I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, uh, a lot of people have the limiting belief that in order to have massive success, you've got to come from a rich uncle or you've got to come from entrepreneur roots or you got to have all these great connections or you had to have just struck it big and got lucky. Um, I'd have to argue that your story is probably similar to mine, that you just had to work your butt off. Mm -hmm. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but, but yeah, there comes a certain point where you just roll up your sleeves and get it done. And that, and that gets you to a certain point And that got me to a certain point. Cause I was not, um, you know, your mindset, you know, you know, meditate and, 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 you know, get up and journal and all that, all that crap. I still don't do that. But I was, I was like opposite of like mindset, you know, just, I'll just, I'll work you. I don't care if you have a stronger mindset than me. And that, that probably has gotten you to where you're at and got me to where I was at just rolling up your sleeves. But then and I've noticed, and I'm sure you have as well, you get to, to get to that next level, you have to mix in a few other things than just hard work, but hard work can get you a long way, man. Yeah, no doubt about it. So did you dabble in a bunch of other side hustles too, or did you just kind of land on real estate first? Cause that was my story. Like I landed on real estate first and I thank God that's the first side hustle I started with. Um, but what, did you have any other side hustles you tried? Uh, yeah, a, a little bit. So in college, me and me and my buddy, Lucas, who is, you know, 50, 50 owners with me and everything I just mentioned, we do everything together still. Uh, but in college, we started a, a painting business. So we painted, you know, houses and fences and decks and things like that. Budget painting, uh, you name it, we painted on a budget was our slogan. And we just put out those <laughs> bandit signs, uh, had them made, put them out. And for, well, uh, uh, five years for me and uh, six years for him in college. Um, we we worked every summer and made decent money and got to have fun and go out and, you know, come home for college and, you know, hang out with our friends from high school and party a little bit and have fun and then, you know, get up and work on our own schedule. We worked hard, but we were able to be growing pain offense, put it that way. So uh, we were able to, uh, we did that a little bit. Um, 
we 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 tried becoming bookies in college a little bit earmuffs for anybody that uh, wants to try that so we tried that for a little while um we tried to sell some other things i'll leave it that for a little while so I, we've tried a few different things and and uh that was nothing we ever really took that seriously but the first thing that i had a, a big boy job um i i was married i just got married at the time when, when we started no kiddos yet but when i was like in the real world the only side hustle that i really tried was real estate rich dad poor dad opened my eyes to that and i just remember seeing the stat and you've heard it i've heard it i said it a million times 90 percent of millionaires are created through real estate so i don't know that everybody understands that starting your own business outside of that forex crypto stock market mutual funds iras 401k saving your money all of that combined makes up 10%. The other 90% is real estate. So uh, I, I just stuck to that. Like this is probably the path of least resistance. Barrier of entry can be very low to get into. And you don't have to be super smart. I don't have to be like a tech wizard to start an app to do it. So it just made most sense and, and bared fruit for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. So well, tell me, like, as you go through your journey, kind of the early years, what were some of your your biggest struggles or challenges that you faced early on, if you had any big ones? Yeah, I think it's just general ones that most people go through, but uh, finding the money, uh, finding the deals, having a few deals go south a little bit early, making me feel uncomfortable with, hey, do we even pursue this? Like, I just did a presentation on this and I completely forgot about this, maybe because I'm an idiot or maybe because people forget, like, you know, things that they sometimes struggle with. On my very first deal, uh, we had, we looked at 36 properties in person. So I went and looked, this was 2014. I didn't know what I was doing then. Um, but 2014, we looked, we probably analyzed, uh, and I say we, that's Luke's and I, we probably analyzed a hundred properties, like just ran numbers on, but we visited 36 properties and made offers on 36 properties before we got our very first one. I'd like to say that's like, resistance or persistence beats resistance and hard work. I'm probably more ignorance and stupidity. But anyways, we finally got that first one. So that was like, like a lot of people would stop at that point. And we had 21 banks tell us no when we went to refinance. Um, again, we went to like Bank of America and US Bank at first. And we like narrowed down to these small local banks of credit unions and finally talked to the right bank. But we didn't know what we were doing. So we had those very, very inefficient you know, struggles to get your very first deal done. And our very first deal, uh, we owed our private, we borrowed a, uh, like $99,000 from our private lender that we ended up finding that took us forever to find. And we owed him 104,000, but we only got 100,000 back from the bank. So we were four grand shy on our very first deal. Uh, luckily, we had another deal already in the works with this private lender. We had a great relationship. He, you know, saw how hard we were working and saw that we understood the process at least and we're going to be successful. And the other deal that we had was uh, like a grain same of a deal. So he allowed us to roll the interest into that deal and we gave him a little bit of an extra kicker. So anyways, we made it work. The point was that that first deal was not smooth, but we stuck with it and and to round out and get into some numbers and X's and O's like we mentioned. So that that first deal, like I said, we $100,000 mortgage on it. It was worth 125 grand. So 25 grand equity, very first deal. That's awesome. That's cool. A lot of hard work, not super sexy, especially when you're splitting it two ways. You know, I own 50% of it. However, we refinanced in 2004, uh, 2015 um, at the beginning of the year. Right now, that house is worth 225 grand and we owe 75 grand. So now there's 150 grand of equity that gets a little bit more exciting in eight years on a house we bought without using any of our own money and we get tax cash 
full appreciation. Now we want we've done more than that since then, but that just shows the power of one deal in eight years. I think I think the average four hundred one k in this entire country, the average is like one forty five or something. So that one property's got more more in it than the average four hundred one k that you have to pay into and don't have control over of. So um, we can get into some way. I mean, we screwed up a ton, especially at first. But that was the first thing that came to my mind, especially because I just did a presentation on it. That first deal was hard, but not knowing any better, uh, we just kind of kept pushing through. Yeah. The first deal for most people is hard. I know the first uh, deal I had, I had obstacles I had to overcome, but persevered, got it done. My first deal was a wholesale deal. Yours was a rental property. Uh, my first flip, I lost money and not a little bit of money, like $100,000. <laughs> you really screwed that one up. I really screwed that one up. There's, there's a whole story to that, but um for you, you, you had to navigate some things that were probably uncomfortable. You had to, you know, have conversations with other people and figure out a solution. Those early on uh, things you had to navigate, I'm sure, helped you get more confidence to then go do it again, right, and build from there. So you do that first deal. You were persistent. You overcame the resistance, right? I know that that first deal, the proof of concept is such an important part for people to have that breakthrough. Um, what what took you on to the massive success of doing 300 houses a year? I mean, what had to take place? What were the, the things you had to put in place, the people you had to put in place? How did you grow to that level? Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think initially just building that confidence and and uh, my first goal was to buy one rental property a year for ten years. So I have ten rental properties at the end of ten years and then pay them down. So that's a cool goal at the time. It felt insurmountable, um, but that was our first goal. Then we saw that and started to see some success and build upon that. And the goal was to replace our for tried that, that's a very inefficient and not realistic way to do it. You know, buying rentals how we do with none of our own money, two, three, four hundred bucks a month cash flow, that's going to take a lot of cash flow to replace your living in your or replace your expenses potentially income on top of that. So that's why we were so aggressive at first was, hey, let's buy as many rentals as we can to replace our income. And year, year and a half, two years in, we're like, we bought a lot of rentals and we're not even close to replacing our income. So that's when we started mixing in the active income with the passive income uh, through real estate. We had W-2 jobs was help helped make us bankable, but then we started to do a little bit of wholesaling. We didn't know what wholesaling was, but got a property, got a couple crews busy and we're doing probably this was probably our second year. We were probably doing maybe, you know, three projects at a time or something like that. We had maybe 10 rentals or something like that at the time. And uh, we're like, we can't take this one down. So let's wholesale and make a little bit of money. And then we ended up listing one that we over rehabbed and made decent money on. So we just kind of stumbled into having other streams of income that were more active, you know, via wholesaling and, and actually flipping because makes all the sense in the world. You're looking for distressed properties, keep some as rentals, flip some, wholesale some, and then you got some active income streams and passive income streams and tax benefits. And that is something that I'll quit my job over because by that time I was making really good money. I was making like $250,000 a year at my W-2 job in, in Missouri, which is more money than I'd be making 
when I was 65 years old and I enjoyed it to a certain degree. I didn't love it, but I liked it. So it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I had to see some proof of concept and had to see some pipeline in the, some work, some deals in the pipeline, see some equity and properties before I was, uh, you know, willing to quit that job. I didn't quit that job willy nilly. So I think just building that confidence and then in order to replace that high level income, which looking back, it was probably a good thing. I wasn't trying to replace 50 grand. I was probably trying to place 250 grand. It required me to hire people and, and, you know, offboard some responsibilities and think bigger and create systems and create processes and create a company that then I could then step into. So that was the big thing for me was getting comfortable enough to quit that really, you know, well-paying job. And that kind of is what led to the growth. And then I started to see having team members and helping them and growing a team and the struggles and the pain and the awesomeness and the suckiness of owning a company and having, having team members and, and growing and struggling and got addicted to that. And that's, I think what, uh, what, uh, you know, ultimately made me quit my job and want to scale. Yeah. Tell me how important. So you mentioned there in order for you to grow, you decided you needed to get into the active income side of it. How important would you say it is for you in order to grow your passive income, your you know rental portfolio, in order to grow that to scale or even grow it at all? How important is it to have that active income aspect to support or, or fund that side of it? Yeah, it, it's it's extremely important. I think for most people, it's going to be that W two job for a while. But when that W-2 job goes away, you're going to need some some active income beyond rental income if you want to continue to scale and continue to buy real estate and continue to grow. Because it's stupid, but a bank would rather see a $90,000 W-2 income than a $150,000 entrepreneur income, you know, based on, uh, you know, a year or two of actually work. So that that W-2, when you step away from that W-2 job, you better have some equity and you better have some income streams that are producing income at a consistent basis if you want to continue to buy rentals and continue to grow and continue to scale. We have three main banks that we work with. And I remember one of them was like, well, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Y'all just quit your, your good job and are, you know, taking a chance on yourself and going all in on being entrepreneurs. Another was like all in on it. Another bank was kind of like in the middle, like let's kind of wait and see. And then quickly we continue to grow and scale and, and do things the right way. And we got all the banks on board, but it is something to be aware of. You need, you need that active income. And uh, to me, cash flow from rentals, that's even if it's, you know, you're actively taking it, it's still passive. It's still passive in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I found uh, it, it to be extremely important to have the active income side going if you want to grow your rentals, because otherwise, what money are you going to use to fund buying more rentals? If you think mm-hmm. it's going to be your passive income, which is the dream, right? The dream is I'm going to quit my job once I get a certain amount of passive income. But like you said, especially when you're leveraging other people's money and using little to none of your own to buy real estate, which is an incredible like eighth wonder of the world, right? And and everybody should be doing um, the two, three, four hundred dollars worth of cash flow. You need a lot of those to really add up. And the reality that I like to always tell people, and I'm sure you do the same, is look, that's great, but how big is your, your reserves as well? Because you got an AC that goes out. You got a tenant that moves out and you need to make it rent ready. You know, there could be five, 10, 15, $20,000. You got to pony up for that. 
And if you don't have the active income side going, then you might kind of struggle through some of those obstacles that pop up, you know? For sure. And I tell people, I don't think it's responsible to try to live off that income. Like you said, if you have that active income on the side, you can tap into that if you need to. But if you're taking your two, three, four hundred bucks a month per door aside and setting it in an account for retained earnings and for you know taxes and all the things you're going to need it for, there's a good chance that when that stuff happens, you'll just be able to dip into that account. You won't even have to dip into the active account. You can, it's great to have it, but if you're not touching that rental income, then you're much more likely to not have to dig into the active income at all. And if you do, maybe it'll be less. Like I still haven't taken a dime from my rental positive cash flow. Now I've taken money from refinances and equity and things like that and paid off houses and pocketed it. But like the actual cash flow I get from my rental portfolio, I still have yet to uh, take a disbursement from that. Yeah. Same here. We we leave it there. Uh, we let the, the bank account grow. Uh, there's plenty of expenses and things that pop up that take that money anyway. So it's not like oh, yeah. uh, it's just stacking and stacking and uh, there's too much of it. But um and and then as you have more properties that you want to buy and you have repairs and expenses, you want to get those updated and, and remodeled, surely, you know, you'll use funds for that as well. So, um, no, that's important. Uh, I got a question for you. So, when I think a lot of people are looking for that financial freedom and they're looking to break free from the W-2 job, how much money do you think someone should have in the bank as reserves as they look to make that move? Yeah, I think that that depends on a few factors. I think one of them would be, are you actively getting active income? Like when I quit my job, we had three uh, flips we were working on and we had a couple wholesales we were working on. So I knew at least for a little while, I, I and then if you're just doing rentals and you have no active income flips or wholesales in the pipeline, I, I would tell people they need maybe six months worth of uh, actual like bare bones living reserves. So I, I would I would say that that would be my decent number to have. You have, uh, you know, six months worth of living reserves, you know, not like going on vacations and buying TVs and redoing kitchens at your personal house, but just like general living reserves, six months worth of that. Um always probably, but I would be a little bit more lenient on that if you got several deals in the pipeline that you know there's plenty of meat on the bone. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. The reserves thing is a real thing because, you know, even if you have deal flow going, it's not always like a guaranteed thing, you know? Um, so you gotta, you gotta be prepared. You gotta be smart with your money there. So I, I always tell my own personal experience, and it sounds like it was the same for you. I'm not a big believer in burning the boats just because that wasn't my personal experience for some people and some good friends of mine, they burned the boats and that's what worked for them. But I think some people get scared about, should I burn the boat? Should I not tell me what I should do? And you, I say, you just got to find what works for you. You know, for me, mm. that W2 job was the stable platform for me to, to grow upon. And, and I needed that. I definitely needed that at that time. Um, so for me, it's, and it sounds like it was kind of the same for you. Yeah, no, so, I agree it, for sure. So how do you go from, you know, your, your year two, you've got a handful of these active deals going now, you've got uh, 10, about 10 rentals or so at the time. How do you go to $46 million in rentals that you own without using any of your own money? What's the trajectory there? I mean, is it like slow and steady and then hockey stick and you just had some killer years or did you just start taking some chunks down? Like what, what was that path? 
Yeah, it was it was it was pretty, you know, it wasn't quite the hockey stick, but maybe it kind of was. I would say um, it was a combination of things. Once I, I quit my job. So in 2018, I quit my job and I started, like I said, 2014, but really kind of 2015, because that's when we refinanced and started doing other deals. So at that point, uh, 2018, probably had 25 rentals maybe and done, you know, several flips and a handful of wholesales. And that was 10, 15 hours a week on the side, evenings, weekends, you know, having phone calls with Lucas during the day and just trying to figure it all out. And we're like, what happens if we can now spend 60 to 70 hours a week on this, like general just rule of scaling and, and volume, we should be able to grow substantially. And, that, and that's kind of what we did. It was a few different things. It was, we bought a, a 28 pack of houses. We bought a 42 pack of houses. We bought um, six apartment complexes, a 29 unit, a 32 unit, you know, three, four, five, six, seven million dollar chunks at a time with those apartment complexes. But then also we really ramped up that active income, that flipping company, uh, you know, where we have right now we have six full time acquisition reps. We have a marketing person. We have a business analytics. We have we have a rehab, you know, crew contract to close. It's like a legitimate that company has 24, uh, 23 or 24 employees. So that's like a machine that's just buying single families every single day almost most. And the ones that really make sense as rentals, we just kind of cherry pick, you know, you're not going to grow as quickly doing one off bird deals. But when the machine's already working, and it's already got a purpose, you might as well use it. So um, that kind of just helps us always be growing in that right direction. But then when you see those apartment complexes, or those big packets of houses that not many people can fund or manage or take down, that that's when we really saw some growth, I think from 2020, uh, like right after everybody realized COVID wasn't the end of the world and like the world's going to keep turning and like real estate started really booming from that time. So maybe mid 2000, uh, 2022. So about 18 months, maybe 16 months, 17 months, but like over $20 million worth of real estate. So that's where the biggest part of that hockey stick was. And that was mm -hmm. that 42 pack. That was, uh, I think four of the six apartment complexes. So that's where, you know, Deals were go are out there to be had. We had plenty of uh, private lender money. We had proof of concept. We had banking relationships built, and and money was cheap. So that's when we really took advantage of it. And and this last year, we have not added near as many just because it's a lot harder to get them. Yep, no doubt about it. I mean, that's that's a big part of most people's journeys and their stories is the right timing. You know, there's a right time for flipping houses. There's a right time for buying rentals. There's a right time for wholesaling all those different types of strategies. There is a right time. Now they, you can find deals in every of those respective areas at any given time, no doubt about it, but there are better times than others. So uh, yeah, the timing of that for you was, was killer on that. Um, we found the same thing, like over the past two years, like we really haven't added that many units to our portfolio. Um, I didn't start buying rentals until five years ago. And the first two and a half years was really when I bought the majority of them, just like a handful since, you know, and that's because we were focused on the opportunity that we had to, you know, convert and have more cash in the bank and, uh, and do more wholesaling and flipping. So, um, so dude, yeah, that's, that's the, that's 
Yeah. Real quick, I was going to say that's the beautiful thing about real estate is there's always options. You said it perfectly, but every single uh, every single market in the country you can make money in. Just certain strategies work better in certain markets. Every single economic cycle you can make money in. Just certain strategies work better in certain uh, economic cycles. So just being agile and just taking advantage of what you're given, uh, real estate allows you all of those options. Fast calf, novation, sub two, um, owner fine. Like the, you can you can make any deal work at any time if you get creative enough and if you're agile enough and i always tell people i'm not going to let like some external forces like the government like uh, uh wars across the world like um you know money costs i'm not gonna let something external decide whether i create wealth or not i'm going to do it i'm just going to figure it out whether headwinds or tailwinds because i'm in real estate and i'm willing to adapt so that's the one of the few if not the only industry that allows you to have that much adaptability so didn't mean to interrupt you but i want to piggyback off the great point you made no, dude, I'm so glad you did. That was like a huge nugget drop right there, man. Uh, guys, you, you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta adjust and adapt, right? Um, but don't let anyone else or anything else get in your way of your own success. There's always a way to navigate and and come out as a win, no matter what the situation is. So I think that's such a huge, huge nugget there for everybody. Um, all right. So we talked about your journey to, to getting the rentals. We talked about, uh, the flipping business and the active income, what I've seen over the past several years and how I even knew about you was social media. Okay. Now we just so happened to meet each other in person at a mastermind too recently, which was super cool. Cause again, you'd been like on my radar and somebody who I'd been watching and like, admiring like what you're doing and and like taking notes 2.7 million people on social media through the different platforms that that are connected and and watching you how did that even come about was that like something you wanted to do did you want to be a social media star and personality or like is that just part of the strategy like how did that even come about where did it start how did you get good at it yeah, it, it took a long time and it honestly just kind of fell into my lap. So I remember specifically in 2019, we were buying a 12 unit apartment complex with a little self storage facility on the back. And I was, I posted about it on my like personal Facebook page. I'd been posting, you know, I don't know, maybe once a month just about what I was doing and would have like, you know, high school or college buddies ask me questions in the DMs and just kind of uh, garner some interest. And then when I did that one, I just remember my inbox absolutely flooded with people asking questions and wanting to learn more. And about that same time, somebody that uh, I kind of know uh, published a book, a, a book on the Burr method, and they had done like five burrs, and I had done probably 95 at that time. And I'm just like putting that information out there. I'm sure it's good information, but like taking advantage of this education space and getting in front of people with very, very limited actual knowledge on it just kind of was like, well, maybe I should go ahead and do this because I have way more experience than most of the people I see out here talking about it. So that's when I decided, hey, I will start to put content out there uh, to try to educate people. So uh, early 2020, I launched a YouTube channel and spent a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort and was getting 13 views, 19 <laughs> views, oh, a whopping 84 views. So my goal was to just get eyeballs on social media. And my initial goal was to create a YouTube channel and create YouTube videos that were like rental properties that I would just passively make money on. And, you know, every single YouTube video I put out uh, would make me 
400 bucks every single month, just like a rental property. So that was honestly my initial goal was to grow a YouTube channel. That was it. I sucked at it and I still suck at it to this day. So I started making, um, you know, it started an Instagram channel probably mid 2020. And then later in 2020, I saw somebody post a video on TikTok about the Burr's method, the Burr method, and they got like 200,000 views. And that was like mind boggling to me to think about getting that many views on an app that's about dancing and girls' butts. So I was like, all right, I guess. I'll get into TikTok now. And the goal was to grow an audience on those platforms, Instagram and TikTok, and push them to YouTube. That was the entire purpose of those platforms at first. But then I started to get decent at short form content. I worked at it really hard, posted and analyzed like crazy and was a psychopath and a lunatic, went live all the time. And those audience started to really, really grow. And then I started to really gain some traction and some following and some uh, and a brand around that. And that's kind of when my focus switched from just YouTube to growing a brand on all platforms. So that kind of just kind of snowballed into, and it hasn't really been that long. It's been a little over three years now. And uh, just, just continuing to push through, continuing to not get frustrated when you put a lot of time and effort into a video that doesn't get views. And then you get those quick hits of dopamine with those viral type videos that do pretty well and just kind of see the results. It's, it's a lot like sports. It's not every job you can track and see the score of the game. I can see immediate reactions of how the video does, how many DMs I get, how many likes it gets, and I can compare it and try to get better and be my best competition and try to get better every single day at that specific app. So that's kind of the Genesis story. It wasn't like the goal wasn't to have this many followers or to even have an education brand or or a uh, you know, paid community. That was not at all the goal. That kind of all started from posting a little bit, getting some reactions, and um, not being like most people that post on social media. Yeah. Well, uh, what I love about it is, you know, you look at your, I'm on it right now. I'm looking at your page. You know, you've got some of these videos have millions of views. Some of them have millions of views. If you think about how hard it is to get millions of views and then regularly, you know, instead of your 13 or 20 views, you know, your average is like tens of thousands of views and then lots of hundreds of thousands of views, uh, which is pretty crazy. Do you feel like you figured out the algorithm type of thing? Um, like what, what is your strategy on how you approach social media? And this is kind of getting to the X's and O's because I've heard different people talk very specific about their strategy. Like these are the type of videos I make. This is the way that I make them. Um, this is how I grab people's attention. This is how they go viral. Do you have any secret sauce? that uh that people like me can can hear <laughs> i do to a certain degree i feel like yes i feel like i when we met i was like right high mr cool cat uh that was when like i the algorithm um switches and kind of uh, moves around a little bit at, at that variation of the algorithm i had on deck i think in in august of this year i think we we talked about it. I don't know if I had the full, but I think I, I ended up rounding out. I think I got 14 million uh, free organic views on social media, gained like 75,000 followers in one month on Instagram, and just everything was popping. And as you know, everything was going there. TikTok was doing decent. YouTube was doing everything was just hitting really, really well. I went from like seven, like maybe like 13,000 on Facebook to like 200,000 on Facebook in like a month. So things were just blowing up. I was like, I got this figured out. Y'all come to me for the advice. 
Um, and then things just—I wouldn't say they crashed and burned, but as you can see, we're you know we're back to a little bit more reality now. Getting five hundred, a thousand followers a day on, on Instagram and the other platforms, slowly growing with some. You know, the the floor is higher than it used to be, but the floor still can be pretty low, uh, especially on TikTok, as far as the you know the the baseline views you get. So, um, yes, I've I've got some of it figured out to a certain degree, but then the algorithm changes and my attention goes on other things, and things just kind of fall between the cracks. Every time I leave for somewhere, I come back and I'm not as involved in social media when I'm gone as I am with the team. I got a small team that I'm very, very involved in, but when I'm gone, I'm not, things tend to slide a little bit. Um, but in general, I'll get into some X's and O's about, about what has worked for me. Um, so I used to try to make my videos like uh, like Ryan Pineda or like Kong or like some of my buddies that I know that do well on social media and they never seem to hit because I'm just not them and my delivery is different and I'm not a Filipino Ken doll like Ryan Pineda and I don't have this crazy, loud, charismatic, everybody look at me personality like Kong. So if I try to do that, it, it comes off as uh, very, very inauthentic and not who I am. So what I started to do that really seemed to get traction for me was I just made videos how I wanted to make them. I walked down the stairs with one shoe on and got, you know, millions of views. I think I have, I, we counted, I think I have like over 70 videos that have over a million views across the platforms. And it's just, they're, they're all simple. Uh, me being me, uh, not talking and having words pop up over my head or, um, you know, just walking around and talking about how much debt I'm in. So uh, just the, the consistently putting out authentic content and not trying to copy other people's styles, other people's delivery, other people's ideas. And there's always a little bit, see an idea, make it your own. That's fine. But that's what's really, really worked for me. Every time I see a viral video and try to recreate it, it does not seem to work. So being myself, being authentic and, and consistently putting out content is the overall arching thing that has gotten me through highs, lows, algorithm pushes, algorithm pullbacks, all the happens on social media because it is it's crazy uh, to, to see the different swings when I'm in it and look at the analytics every day. As far as what works for me, uh, the, the, the blueprint that makes it decent to good to viral videos, it works like most other people. And that's going to be um, a strong hook. Uh, I usually, whether I'm talking or not, um, two lines, maybe three. So I'm talking like, you know, two or three words, two or three words, not a whole paragraph for somebody to read as they're scrolling and not like um, just like one word, just like. Two words above my, or uh, two lines above my head, you know, a sentence about what the video is about, a hooky sentence with slight camera movement to, to stop the scroll as people are scrolling through between sports takes and comedians and booty shakes and, and their friends and their, you need to stop them. So um, just general slight camera movements with, with limited editing. Um, talked to my editors. We had a conversation today for half an hour. Um, every single time he edits and wants to add more zhuzh to it, as we call it, it does not do as well the simpler videos do better like we did a we did a breakdown we have he did i think in september he edited like 25 videos and he got like i'm gonna say like maybe like seven eight hundred thousand views on those 25 videos i edited 10 videos and got 3 million views from my 10 videos so and I'm not an editor. So just the simple editing seems to work. And I've seen people like Ryan and, and even Gary Vee and Hermosi, all these people with these huge staffs and huge budgets, they are focusing more. And I've heard them talk about simple works over complex. People don't want to overthink. Somebody that's super smart doesn't want to have to flex their brain muscle when they're on social media. And somebody that's not super smart doesn't want to be confused. So that simple little clean style really, really works. 
get their attention, deliver value. Um, you know, don't don't flex on cars and all that stuff like everybody does. And eventually, you will make it work. It might take time. Um, took me months and months to get any traction, and it's harder today than it was when I got started because of the saturation of the space. But continue to put it out and, and talk about your story, and eventually you'll get there. So, um, you know, just the, the the more impactful and the shorter you can make it, in my opinion, the better. Yeah. Well, dude, what you said exactly is what got my attention. Watching your videos, like for for a long while, this is kind of funny to say out loud, for a long while, I didn't even know what you sounded like. I didn't even know what your voice sounded like because your videos that I kept seeing over Not and very over cool voice. <laughs> I like you better without talking, man. Can you just go back to not? No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but honestly, like, I wasn't following you, so I wasn't seeing all of your content. I was getting recommended your content as I was scrolling. And then I would see your videos that were going the most viral and they were the ones of you not talking. And they always, like you said, would grab my attention. They were like a pattern uh, interrupt. And it was a hooky thing at the very beginning that caught my attention, like saying how much debt you were in. And it was like, it caused an emotional like reaction for me to want to know, well, what's next? You know, well, what happened? Mm-hmm. You know, so it was really, really clever for you to do that. And I'm going to try out some of your videos. <laughs> like I'm going to try to make some and see, uh, like, can I make my own version of that? Cause obviously I can't recreate the same thing, but like, can I have my own version of uh, a pattern interrupt? That's not like your super flashy, super this and that, look how great I am type video. Right. So um, but that's what I like. Cause, cause not only are they interesting cause they're different, but they're also educational cause they grab your interest and they bring you in. So, um, that's what I love. So the social media thing, would you say has been a, like once that took off after 2020, 2021, would you say you saw your business grow substantially as a result? Oh yeah, for sure. Like I, I, you know, it didn't really, it doesn't affect my flipping company a ton because, you know, all these apps are national and we just buy, you know, here in St. Louis has helped a little bit. We've gotten leads from it for sure. And had people offer private money that we don't really need at this current time. We've got a good private lender pool, but the education business, my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's been everything like 80% of our signups for a while were organic through social media. They know they like you, they trust you, they understand you have that credibility. So it's much higher going to pay you money to educate them via just an ad that they see. As, as me and you talked about earlier, you're not doing a ton of ads yet. For sure, your conversion rate's going to definitely go down once you bring the ads into it. But it really helped get that base level of a following gives you that credibility and it just kind of springboards everything ads do better if you have a social media presence than you know hey i saw him on they just work so well together hey i i i saw your social media i've been following you oh you had a, a, a community because i don't talk about it very much so they saw the ad okay yeah for sure get involved because i i know you have it and then there's people that see the ads that are my ads are very much like my posts grabs their attention. Like, oh, I'll go follow this guy. Cause I learned something from that ad as well as got pitched at the end, of course, but they work really, really well together. And it's really, really exploded. Uh, my, the business, the branding business and um, social media is a huge part of that. But there's, there, there comes a point where um, and I'm going through this right now where it's not, 
just about social media. Like I just focused on social media uh, and growing a following for the better part of the last three years. That's been my sole focus because that's all I knew what to do. And I know that it's good to have eyeballs, right? But what I haven't focused as much on is that branding aspect. Like you said, you just kind of saw me. It was it wasn't enough to get you to follow right away. You just saw me for a while, but eventually you followed. So growing that brand is completely different. And I'm realizing that right now on podcasts, what you're doing is a huge part of it. Like I have I have more followers. Than, than Ryan Pineda. And I was just at his office, but he's got a much bigger brand than me. Shoot, I think I just passed that more followers and paced more, but he's got a, a 10, 25 times bigger he's brand than Cole I do. Following. So, <laughs> yes, Colt, very much so. But And so it's not just about that, that social media, right? Like I, it's good and almost bad. So now I am actually pumping the brakes on social media and revving the engine on branding and trying to grow that community. Um, so I will not grow as much on social media, but I will grow my brand. And that that's more powerful to help more people impact more people. You need a brand. You can't just get an eyeball on TikTok when somebody, you know, is scrolling through, you know, 150 videos in their in their session in the bathroom while they're while they're sitting down, if you know what I'm saying. So you need to get more of a more of an uh, of a strong connection than just a 15 second video. So that that's what I'm working on. And that's what uh, it's been good to get that base level social media. But there's a lot more to it than just that. Yeah. No, that's huge. I think uh, that's really, really good perspective, because that's something that I've been reflecting on a lot is as I've been building my coaching program is the the community aspect, the brand of the community is more important than almost anything else. Because if you have a good brand identity for the community, then that's how you get the cult following like a Pace Morby, right? Jamil Damji, the people who want to wear like Ryan Pineda wearing a wealthy t-shirt. People know about the name, the brand, the association, but just the community itself, they want to be a part of. Um, so that, that to me, I think is a huge thing for myself that I'm working on. So that's awesome. Well, dude, what's, what's like the next exciting thing. Do you have any like crazy goals that you're chasing after? Do you have any fun side hustles that you're, you're adding into the mix or are you staying laser focused, trying to get things even more dialed in and refined? Where, where are you at in your journey right now? Yeah, it's a little bit of a mixture of both. So I, I definitely don't want to have that shiny object syndrome. So the three companies we mentioned earlier, um, now they all have, and it's been like that for about a year, but super strong leadership. There's a COO of education. You met him down at the Mastermind, Matt. So he runs the show. Everything goes through him. We got a COO of our flipping company and a COO of our like rental portfolio and our management company. We manage our own rental. So we have strong leadership in those areas that does allow me to kind of stretch my wings and try new things a little bit. I, I hadn't been doing that a ton because we didn't have that in place. And, you know, Luke's and I were kind of doing a little bit of everything. But now that we have strong leadership in place that allows us to take our eye off of those balls and focus on other things, I, I've been, we've been doing some new things. Like a, a cool project working on right now is we bought a, a small like boutique island in Branson, Missouri, which is kind of like a rednecks Vegas kind of thing here in, in Southern Missouri. So it's uh, it's a lot of people go there. It's like a town of 6,000 people that like 4 million people travel to a year kind of thing. So we got that. We're finishing that up soon. That's new for us. Those are going to be all short-term rentals, Um, you know, two bedroom, three bedroom, one bed, really nice little resort. We're putting a lot of money into it. It's going to be like high-end boutique type stuff. So that's fun and cool and should help with cash flow. And then um, just kind of helping grow this education brand. There's so much in this space. There is like, it's an endless amount 
amount of people you can help, money you can make in this uh, branding and social media thing. So I'm kind of going to focus on, you know, growing the brand and then also growing the community um, and then growing um, other products and then uh, potentially looking into, uh, we already started this company, but, um, and we have actually a leader in place in this company, but uh, it's called Invest Loop, a uh, like an investing private equity company. So uh, wealth is created through equity and assets, and I'm creating my wealth through equity and real estate assets, but you can create even more wealth through equity and businesses. So mm-hmm. we're going to be funneling some of our money and RDR into like an act the day-to-day, but by, um, you know, uh, equities of companies or by companies that are, are selling or going out of business that have an operator in place or potential operator in place and, and grow that. So that's a whole, whole nother ball of wax, but that's something that we're starting to dip our toes into here a little bit. That's going to be fun and exciting. I think. Dude. Heck yeah. Lots of fun stuff. Well, dude, it's been so great oh, yeah, to have you quick, on. Real, oh yeah. Real, I, I didn't mention, I've interrupted you twice. So I think there's a delay real quick. You said big, crazy goals. A billion dollars in real estate, a billion dollar annual organization, and owning an NBA team. So those are my three big long term goals. There we go. Uh, there they I are. Had to throw those. Had to throw them out there. I forgot about <laughs> them. I get. I get. That's why I suck at uh, YouTube because I just go down all these stupid rabbit holes and mumble and talk. So that's why um, short form makes me be concise. But anyways, I forgot that part. Just throwing some big goals out there, putting them out there in the universe, and see what happens. I love that, dude. You got the size too, dude. You could be out there halftime getting some dunks in and showing off to the crowd and everything. I would pull something so quick if I tried to dunk. I used to be able to, uh, not anymore. I, I I'd be lucky to hit to grab the net these days. But yes, I could I could jump off a trampoline in the in the in the outfit of the mascot and dunk it. There we go. We'll get you in the trampoline. Well, dude, it's been it's been so great to have you on. It's been good to to learn more about your story. Uh, guys, if you're looking to connect with Sam, go find him on social media. Sam Faster Freedom. So much good content. Not only is it entertaining, but lots of incredible information that can change your life. You guys can also take it further and connect with him at fasterfreedom.com. Um, all the education around how you can start buying rentals and uh, building wealth that way. So, uh, dude, been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And thanks for being on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Till next time, guys. Peace.